Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping. I'll be your host once again for this week's episode. Joining me on the show this week is none other than Matt Fonslow. Matt's been on the show plenty of times. He's got his own podcast, Diagnosing the Aftermarket from A to Z. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, make sure you do. Uh, he's got some great stuff on there. We'll talk a little bit about it in this episode, but I will include a link in the show notes uh, if you want to check out his podcast as well. But he's here joining me on my show this week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about electricity, uh, some intermittent problems, testing fuel injectors, weird computer strategies, and more. Always great to talk to Matt. Really smart guy. And I appreciate his insight on uh, a number of different topics. So with that out of the way, let's jump into the episode. Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. I'd rather just wing it. Well, and sometimes I, it's bad. I can say that I genuinely enjoy your show. Um, if anybody on here hasn't listened to it, they definitely should. Um, it's, it's been awesome. And I, I guess I'll use that word again. I think what you're doing there is very genuine, right? Like you're not trying to BS anybody with anything. And so, uh, that's a very refre- refreshing thing to listen to. And I've enjoyed that quite a bit. I'm not trying to BS anybody unless I think it's funny. Then yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to get very deep really fast, but yeah, generally trying to just shoot straight as best I can. And, you know, even the stuff that sounds biased, I'm conscious of it, how it sounds. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm just trying to level. You know, I talked to um, Lester with Dorman, and it sounds like I go pro-Dorman. Uh, but I think I was just being very honest in that, yeah, I've run into issues with some Dorman products. Mm-hmm. I've also ran into problems with other products from right, yeah, many, many manufacturers. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that sounds like I'm trying to defend Dorman, but I think it's just being on the level. Lately, mm-hmm. OE parts have not been all that reliable. Yeah, I, I think it's parts in general right now. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know what yeah, you're going to get. <laughs> but yeah, well, so I'm I'm not sponsored by Napa, so. <laughs> the Eklund line for a long time. That was my doorman when I was a tech. I'm like, Ooh, do we really want to get that mass airflow sensor? It's an Eklund. Ah, I don't know. Um, and yeah. I mean, that's the thing is the aftermarket stuff when it comes to precision things, I just, uh... yeah, some of it too. It sounds like might be partially the store's fault, not like throwing them under the bus or anything. It's just, um, not, I didn't learn it from Napa having been sponsored by them at all. Actually, mm-hmm. my interaction with them is very minimal. It's a friend of mine has a shop, uh, owns it now. And his primary um, parts provider is a Napa store. And he found out that 
there are many levels of parts available to the Napa store. So depending on what they choose to stock determines maybe the quality level. Mm. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't and know that. So he's kind of like, no, I don't want to mess with these you know, economy lines. I want to work with the more premium stuff. And Oh, the price is higher. I didn't ask. But I suppose that goes with demographics and competition yeah. in a specific area and all that. Um, what what you're going to try to stock to hit your numbers. So, Because I think, yeah, I think the Napa stores are not franchise stores, meaning they're not the people that own their store own their store. They, they maybe okay. pay like franchise fees and stuff to get the, the logo on the paint schemes and advertisements, stuff like that. But they're... They own the store. Mm-hmm. That's you, how it is around here. Yeah. Um, where some other parts, distri- parts houses, parts stores, whatever, they're French or they're corporate stores. They're whoever's working there yeah. is an employee of the corporation. Yep. And um, so when they're selling whatever at a much lower price to you and you own your store, it's hard to sell a walk-in customer on spending twice as much money for this better part. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And the general public is a totally different ball game than the yeah. shops, I imagine. But yeah. And they're like, I got bills to pay. I can't just stock uh-huh. up on all this great stuff. I can't sell. <laughs> yeah. That whole uh, parts port shortage is, uh, it's definitely interesting out there right now for the, Certain things, um, you know, those TCMs on the Fords, there's a gazillion of them on back order for the focuses. And, um, I don't know what happened this week if, cause I think, well, I know that a number of them were used, but I don't know if like somebody was hoarding them and just released them in my area, but I did eight of those in the last wow. week. And it's not surprising because the, the failure rate on that transmission and the modular pretty high but i hadn't done any in several months and i think it was because nobody could find a module and then all of a sudden i kept getting calls one after another focus focus fiesta focus i'm like what the heck and so it was like half of what i did this week was um just focus tcms i don't i i don't know where they all came from but somebody found a stash and started handing them out i guess (laughs) it's funny that you bring that up so those of you listening Sean and I have not talked about this until right now, but it's funny you brought this up because uh, the Ford dealer uh, towed over a focus for me to program the TCM. Okay. They tried and failed. And all hmm. this is their words. I don't know what they mean by it. I didn't ask where they got it. Nothing like that. They just said they put a Chinese TCM in this thing because they could not get the Ford or Motorcraft one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. They just got one off eBay and assumed. I, I don't know, but they couldn't. They couldn't program it. They said they couldn't communicate with it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I I got it to go through. I fought with it a while. Okay, um, really fought because it was. I don't know. Blanks. I don't know if that's a really good term to use, but I'm gonna go with it just because. Um. I finally I uh kind of used Forescan to get the as built data in. Uh-huh. Which I suppose I could have used IDS but it, 
ideas was kind of ticking me off. Uh, um, trying to reti- retrieve data from network. Yeah, retrieve data, waiting a long time, fail. Yeah. Um, and then I did that a couple times. And then uh, I guess, you know, I suppose I could have pumped, just pumped it in manually anyways. But then I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I never used Forescan. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I grabbed it, wrote it in, and then programmed it and went fine. Um, what I absolutely love about Forescan when you do that on the as built is it shows you the coding, what's yeah. in there, right? You don't get to see that on Ford. Now you can look up Ford's website and you can get the VIN number and get the coding for your thing, but you don't know what's in that module. I really, really like that when I'm doing as built stuff or wondering, hey, is this thing right for the vehicle? That is super, super handy. I heard you can get one year licenses again for that too, actually. I think oh okay. I think I like lucked out and got the lifetime I, one. I, I did. I got that before the whole thing with Russia happened. So yeah, I'm it was I'm like really fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. It was oh, like a no brainer. It's a yeah, absolute no brainer. <laughs> Keith Perkins has it, so if he has it, I have to have it. <laughs> well plus it's the most hilarious name for uh for a scan yeah, tool. You gotta ever, be careful. So. You don't say it too fast. <laughs> Cause either they'll mishear you or you'll mispronounce it. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, uh, what uh, what else is going on in Fonzo's world? What's new? Acting like I know what I'm doing. Um, a lot of that. Uh, I would say, yeah, just programming. The keys stuff. The keys is just mind-boggling. I, I know I talk a lot about keys. It probably gets annoying. I annoy myself with it. It just blows my mind. That's just why I keep talking about it. Is I'm, my mind is so freaking blown by how much keys I'm dealing with selling, cutting, programming, all keys lost other than, so again, I think it might be unique to my demographic, my region that there's really the big or the three domestic dealerships, anything else. It's almost an hour away to get any kind of support. Do you have locksmiths so, running around down there? Uh, there's two of them, but they really don't want to deal with cars. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, the one he's, I have him do a lot of stuff for me because he's, he's awesome. He he loves to leashy stuff. Okay. So he'll leashy stuff for cheaper than I can buy the stupid leashy tool for, <laughs> which I granted, I suppose if I bought one and used it a few times, but I don't do that much. Uh huh. And he's, it's cool. He shows up with his lawn chair, a big umbrella on it, and he's got his, Whatever he's drinking, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't checked what he's drinking, but and he just sits out there and he just has a ball and it's awesome. Good, well, hey. that's a good yeah. relationship to have. And then, uh, yeah, he uh, sends everything car related down to me, and that I, I've gotten like three requests to do stuff residential. You know, can you duplicate this key? I suppose technically I could. I don't want to send it. Send it to him. Sure. Um, so there's that. And then uh, I have, I've been testing out uh, bench fuel injector flow testing and ultrasonic cleaning machines. Okay. And I kid you not, like, I thought fuel injector issues for the most part were over. Uh, you know, I, I there's always going to be some, or GDIs, they're going to 
get stuck open or they're going to clog. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be like hard faults. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, yep. It's bad all the time or it's good all had, the time. I had a GDI today that was stuck wide open on a Cadillac. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So that, that's kind of, I've had Volkswagens that way. Like, you know, you diagnose them with your nose. Yeah, I literally did that. <laughs> so I was like, boy, this thing really smells like gas. <laughs> oh, and by the way, it doesn't hold pressure. But uh-huh. yep. um, I've had a rash of injector issues, both port and GDI. One of them on a um, Ford Fusion. Okay. Might have been a Focus, but I think it was a, F- a Fusion four-cylinder. And um, I got a video of it. One injector, cylinder number four, not that it matters, worked just fine at low speed, low frequency, worked just fine at medium speed, medium frequency. You could hear it if you got your ear up really close, or if you listen to the uh, video I got with headphones, you can hear the bad injector firing at a high frequency lightly. It does not sound like a good injector but it flows very little or it just dribbles out. It was failing. And that's when the misfire would occur under not so much load, high RPM. Mm, okay. As you're getting close to red line, this thing would miss. And it was really neat because you could kind of highway speeds, a lot of you know air resistance. It's almost like I could control the amount of misfire Dang. with my foot. That's it was cool. cool. I could watch it on IDS or whatever. I think I had Top Done on there too. Uh, I wasn't trusting the Top Done. Turned out Top Done was just fine. The uh, power balance, watching the histograph, you know, it would drop down. Mm. Sure. I could kind of control how deep that valley would go with my foot. Oh, nice. But it was predicated more on the engine RPM than on the the load. Actual load. On Interesting. The Okay. And so, yeah, it's just a cool failure. Yeah. That's the, I can't think of one that's like that. Just not something with the internal spring or something or the internals of that yeah. fuel just, injector not going back to where it's supposed to be when it's moving fast. When I, when I first saw it, I thought it just the machine sucked. <laughs> you know, cause they, they run at a higher voltage and, uh-huh. you know, I got four of these going. I got them at the highest frequency in this piece of crap machine just can't do it uh uh-huh. but i found out that i could unplug all of them and just have the one going and bounce it down each injector oh, it was absolutely see. that injector nice as i don't know yeah i mean that's a lot of work to pull injectors and to put them in a flow bench but boy you get an answer then when you do that um does that uh, does that work with or oh, oh maybe I should ask is the one that you were working on was that GDI? Yes. Okay, so it works with GDI injectors. Yeah, so I want to be careful how this is phrased because I don't want it to be like it's not false advertising or anything like that. They do say it's the machine itself says right on it, badging, owner's manual, user user's manual, everything says it's appropriate for GDI. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing it really does is it has the voltage capability to run the injectors. That it'll do 70 volts, 40 volts, whatever is required mm. to fire the injector because they're not 12 volts. Right. 
pressure goes up. I mean, the highest I can get the machine to go is I think 120 PSI. All right. These things don't really, I mean, it's pretty rare that they're operating under that. You know, you have the situation where, the, you know, the cars will run, mm-hmm. right? If the high pressure pump's bad, like they'll yep. idle. They, they might be able to maneuver around the parking lot and stuff, but mm-hmm. they're just dogs. And, but that guy, you know, I've been putting high, uh, GDI injectors on there and I've been finding stuff. Flow issues. Um, and then, of course, that was just, just mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, really cool. But yeah, I've been using the crap out of that thing. Nice. And for a while, the main reason I was using it was I was going after um, the Marine shops. Oh, Not Marines okay. like Justin Morgan and Brandon Dills, like boats. Sure, sure. And um, the a lot of those motors, whether it's the the big inboards, a lot of the outboards, the injectors are just like the same as out of a car or you know small smaller yeah. than a car. I, I remember that when I was uh, early, a young tech, and we'd get a, a inboard in, and it was a motor. I was like, "Oh, I know how I know this three hundred five or this three fifty or whatever. <laughs> I can actually work on this knowledgeably." <laughs> so, uh, ATVs, same thing. Okay, so that was the stuff I was doing mostly uh, because the boats and ATVs, for the most part, depending on the ATV and the owner. They sit all winter. So from sure. late fall to early spring, which for us is like nine months. Just kidding. It's more <laughs> like, I don't know. They're probably start yanking them. September. Probably, yeah, late, late September, early October. They're going to start pulling boats out. Um, and then they're going to get them back in the water. Maybe April-ish. May is probably a little more safe, depending on... Depends on the year. <laughs> yeah, the year and the weather, but so they're they're out of the water for quite a while, and they're just sitting, mm-hmm. and they get clogged. They get really clogged, mm-hmm. and uh, so you do kind of the before and after with the flow uh, rates, and uh, throw them in the ultrasonic for a while. And most of the machines that have the uh, ultrasonic tank. I don't like the ones that have the ultrasonic tank that is part of the machine because now you can't dump the f- cleaning fluid out. It's like oh. a big to-do. Okay. But some of them are like that, and it's whatever. They do the same thing. But you got the ultrasonic tank in proximity of the machine, and then there's usually a, oh, I don't know, a, a protocol or a um, sequence that is for cleaning that while they're in the ultrasonic tank, specifically the, the tips are in the cleaner, it's going to s- pulse the injectors. And mm-hmm. it might pulse them all the time and vary the frequency, or it might just pulse them once in a while. You know, like it's cleaning for five minutes, and then um, it'll start pulsing them for a minute or 30 seconds or something like that. Uh, the really good machines, the really expensive, like Asnu, ASNU, uh, maybe Car- Carbon Zap, they cycle them all the time, 
and they'll kind of back um, kind of um, back flush the injectors. So the, the you got the pintle, the tip oh. in the cleaning solution. Yeah. And it's cycling them the whole time. It actually starts pumping it with the pintle starts pumping the fluid up through the injector and out the in, uh, inlet screen or, you know, where the inlet screen would be. So the, in, sure the injector inlet and you'll watch not all the time, but a lot of the time, just the, grossest junk coming out of these injectors huh that's crazy that'd be cool to see i've never never used one of those machines i've seen videos and pictures and stuff but i've never actually had a chance to mess around with one so it's just i'll I'll get some new injectors for it (laughs) yeah that's cool um i'm trying to think of the last one i've had that had restricted injectors. What I've been running into a lot lately, I think I had a podcast episode on it, was a LS motor that had the wrong injectors. And I've seen that, I think, three times since. It's been a cakewalk since my first time around because I actually found a chart of all the GM truck V8 motors and all the injector part numbers and the flow rates to them. Oh, so I, I have it saved in a document. And so... If I get one of these things that's running rich or lean all the time, you know, I'll check for E85, but then I ask them, you know, hey, did was there any work done? Did anybody swap anything? And yeah, three times, yeah, they were they did injectors at some point and they're the wrong injector. And you can check the flow rate based on the the motor and what it's supposed to have. And it's okay, yeah, just get the injectors. But um that's been uh that's been handy. I, I should actually, I'll put that link in the show notes for anybody that wants that because it's a handy document to have. Um, yeah, don't, the only wrong injector ones I have are usually, they've been Hondas. Okay. On like the Honda Fit. Sure. And they put in aftermarket injectors on and they tried to do the, I don't know if cross-platform is quite the right word, but to try to get the one injector part number to serve multiple, multiple yeah. applications. And it turns out that these um, do not flow enough. So they constantly run lean and uh, ends up it was the wrong injector. Yep. Now I found on the machine, I I had an inkling of it, and I remember talking to uh, Thornton about it a little bit too, and he's kind of like, "You might have to throw some injectors at this thing." So I put them on the flow bench, and then I got one new injector to compare, and it was—I mean, it was like twenty percent difference. Oh wow! The, the OE injector flowed at least twenty percent more, and um, so then we got four injectors, threw it on there, and fixed it. But it kind of Knocked me around a little bit. Oh, yeah. The first time uh, that I went through it, it definitely fought me for a little while. And I was looking at, you know, fuel quality and mass airflow and all those other things um, because the injectors that had been put on that one were used. So it wasn't like they're brand new. They look like and they bolt up like they fit, they plug in all that stuff, but they had been swapped over from another vehicle, from another engine they had sitting around. Oh, well, they fit. They must work, right? <laughs> I yeah. guess not. And there's, if you look at this, um, this document where they have all these injectors, there must be, I don't know, 20 different 
styles of injectors depending on the RPO code uh, for the the V8 motor that you have for these trucks. So you really got to pay attention. To, just because they fit doesn't mean that they work. But yeah, I um I was at a shop the other day and uh this definitely related to I think the the t- topic or the <laughs> area that we wanted to tackle with this conversation um it was a shop owner but he's like shop owner tech which i see a lot of where the guy owns the shop but he's also back trying to figure out the cars and stuff and it's usually not a great recipe um but he's working on a i believe it's an 11 jeep commander or something it's a jeep with a v6 motor and has some o2 sensor codes right that's the part that matters and um he was telling me you know it's reading five volts on the signal wire for the o2 sensor you know Mm -hmm. so i'm thinking oh i'm thinking open circuit right away or my heater's not working or whatever um but then he was telling me that because the reason he was talking to me is because he wanted to replace the pcm he's like i'm you know, pretty confident as PCM. I'm like, okay. And I wasn't even arguing with him. Like, okay, you want me to program it? Cool, whatever. But he was just talking. He wanted to explain how he had come to that conclusion. And he was telling me that he has a power probe. And I've never actually owned a power probe. I've used one a few times. I've just never, I've never felt the need for one. Although I definitely see how they could be handy. I've just never had one, but he's got what I think is one of the newer ones. So if you know more about him, you can tell me. But apparently this new one or this one he has, you can put a, and I say signal because I I don't exactly know what it is. You can put a signal onto a circuit, right? So you can tie into a circuit and then there is a wand of some sort that you can follow up the harness and it responds I've heard about this yeah there's a there's another tool out there that does this it's like the something fault finder where you you track this wand across the harness that the wire would go into and it beeps or it gives you a visual alert that hey this this circuit is intact because i i keep following and then when it stops either you've gone the wrong direction or there's an open there okay so he tells he's explaining this. I'm like, oh, okay. And so he followed uh, three of the wires up to the PCM, and they were all good. And then he followed the other one to the fuse box for the power for the heater. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, all right. And I just thought it was very interesting the approach that he took to confirm that the circuits were intact on this particular on this vehicle or any vehicle really and i was just thinking i was like boy i would have taken a very very different approach maybe it's because i don't understand how that tool works because i don't i don't know what it's doing um to to make that happen but also just because i do understand how the part where the, the sensor works and i'm going to i'm going to treat that circuit a little bit different. I'm going to assess it in a very, very different way before I call a computer. And he might be right. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't actually programmed it for him yet, but I was just thinking about that. I'm like, boy, everybody's got kind of their own approach and thought process when they're doing electrical testing and assessing circuits. Can this circuit do what it's supposed to do? Um, And there's almost endless, well, not endless, but there's a lot of different options 
that you can take. There's a lot of different methods that you can apply to say, yes, this is good or this is bad. And uh, I don't know. I thought that would be an interesting thing to discuss. Yeah, I think it's, I think what's most important is to really grasp what is the tool capable of telling you and what is it incapable of telling you? Maybe mm-hmm. I just made that, maybe I just worded that in an overly complex way, but you have to understand what, how that tool really works. And I'm not talking like, oh, you okay, gave the scope, you know, it's got a ADC and it's, you know, the front end is voltage is coming in on the front end and all that. We don't, I'm not, I don't mean that. But if we're talking about a test light, it's going to load the circuit. How much? You should probably know. Mm-hmm. You should probably take your current probe or your meter and measure how much current it draws. How much does it draw initially, cold, and then after it sits there for five minutes, what is it drawing? Does it start out drawing you know, a quarter amp, 250 milliamps, and then after it a while it drops down to, you know, what, I don't know, a hundred milliamps. Mm-hmm. That would be important to know, just to know. <clears throat> that headlight, does it pull six amps initially, eight amps, 10 amps, 12 amps initially, and then you let it burn for a while and then it's, does it drop significantly? You know, most stuff does. Mm-hmm. And what does it drop to? So if that's on that circuit for, you know, 15 minutes while you're trying to find some short, how much current is potentially flowing through there? And is it, you know, maybe not a good idea to have that as the tool of choice in this situation, you should be going and get your, you know, 3157 or 56 or whatever your favorite bulb is that draws a little bit less current. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, the voltmeters, most of them do not, they don't load a circuit at all or, you know, very minusculely just and understand what that means for the problem you're trying to test. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to verify power feed and ground to something that, you know, draws 12 amps. If that device, and we'll just say it's an electric motor for whatever for whatever reason, we're going to call it an electric motor. It should draw, normally they draw around 12 amps. And you figure that either because you know from experience or you know it's fused for 20 amps. So it's going to be around 10, most likely. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that device is open circuited, if you're checking power feed and ground to it with your voltmeter, it's not telling you exactly what you think it is anymore because it is now an unloaded circuit. It's open circuit voltage. You can command it on all you want. There's no load. It's not stressing anything out. And sure, if the motor's open, it's bad. Mm-hmm. Fine. I'll agree to that. It's bad. But did it go bad on its own? Or is a bad ground causing it to spin slower and it cooked the brushes? Mm-hmm. I am I'm totally making this up as I, as I go, but I, I know that happens. Sure, you can't stress the ground, so now you're putting in this component and whatever it is, you know, this electric motor, 
you bolt it in and then it works. Does it get shipped? Or now you now you're gonna load test it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm only getting nine volts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh cook the um, you know, relay contacts or whatever. Well, okay. I know it's unloaded. The circuit should be I should test this under conditions similar to what it's gonna be operating at. I've got a headlight that draws eight amps. Uh, I will add, you know, in parallel, this other bulb that draws, you know, two, three, four amps. And I'm going to really, you know, stress this thing out. Right. You know? Or I'm going to take my power probe and I'm going to use the circuit breaker function, which is, I think, good for 20. Well, depending on which one you have, I think it's like 20 amps. Mind you, you're going to have to hit it a few times because you want to flow current for a while. So it's probably better off using the bulbs or something, some device that will load that circuit. And yeah. if it is, you know, if it's supposed to be 12 and you can only get 10, if it can flow 10 at, you know, 12 and a half volts or 13 volts or whatever your battery maintainer set at, it's probably fine. Uh, but I think that understanding, you know, knowing that my scope, my meter is not loading the circuit. And if the load of the circuit is compromised in a high resistance fashion. The circuit's no longer loaded. My voltage test doesn't mean what I think it does. So what if it's 15 mm-hmm. volts there? It's unloaded. Yep. I do that. And, uh, oh, go ahead. No, I, I'm just saying like, yeah, the, that component is bad. We're going to replace it, but now we can do, one more test to verify, or a couple of tests, I suppose, if you want to be really itemized, that we are getting the proper amount of feed voltage and a solid ground. Well, that, that's a great point to bring up is you can do multiple tests, right? There's nothing wrong with that. You can use a meter and a test light and a headlight bulb and an amp clamp, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. It might take you a little bit more time, but why not? You got three things that say the thing that you think it is, you're in good shape with that, right? So nothing wrong with that, but... Yeah, and I think to build on what you just said, you stick the bulb in there and it glows brightly. Is it glowing brightly at 10 volts or is it glowing brightly at 12 volts or is it... You yeah. know, and if, it's, and if it ends up, it's not as bright as it could be, you know, what is it? You know, you're going to still have your meter or scope there to check. What mm-hmm. is the voltage under load? What is the... Uh, I guess you know, ones could be the voltage on the feed or the ground. We're going to check the voltage drop, <laughs> right? And so that it becomes a very powerful test. Hmm. Um. It, going back to what you initially said is understanding the limitations and the capability of your testing equipment is huge, right? And yes. people will, you know, downplay a test or bash a tool for whatever reason, right? Um, I don't use this tool because blah, 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 you know, and it's treated as this is a bad testing method or this is a bad tool. And I don't think there's a whole lot of those. I'm sure there's some, there's some things where well, yeah, I'm not going to use it in stuff. this, yeah. this position. Right. But it's, it's all about understanding what it can and can't do. Yep. Um, you know, and the real simple way is, you know, a hammer is not great for doing electrical work, but this doesn't mean it's a bad tool. You just got to know how to use it. And same thing with electrical. A voltmeter is a fantastic tool, but you have to know how to use it. I, I've I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I do it, you know, with the students when we're doing this stuff. Is I I have a jump pack, and I have a voltmeter, 
and I'm basically measuring voltage across my body. I've got the meter hooked up to the ground side of the box. I'm holding the red clamp. I'm holding the red lead. They're not touching each other, but the meter's measuring 12 volts through my body. And I'm like, am I going to light up this light bulb and we even try it? Of course, it's not going to, too high a resistance, but just to show you like, Hey, 12 volts this way, this open circuit measuring, this ain't going to get you anywhere. Um, but that's, that's the key is knowing that, right? And that's where the work beforehand comes in is understanding what my tool can do, what it can't do. But here, here's the other thing that's really, really important to understand and maybe even easier than the tooling, but understand what the circuit's purpose is, right? Yep. Um, I want to know, I, I try to divide it up in two sections. When I'm approaching a circuit, I mean, I want to know what it does and there's an endless variety of what circuits do for a car, but is it doing work or is it sending information? Right. Yep. That's really and it, I'm, right? Those are the two big yeah. know, sides of the coin, you know? And I'm going to treat them differently and use different te- testing methods depending on, you know, which one. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to pull out a test light for, you know, a, a, a data line, right? I might get to the point where I'm suspecting it's shorter to ground. Well, Tesla's a great tool to tell you if it's shorter to ground, right? But um, I'll, it'll probably lead me in that direction. But I start off with, okay, what's this circuit's purpose? If it's doing work, we need to use some different testing methods and we need to make sure the circuit can do work. If it's sending info, okay, different, different set. Now that's going to be scope and maybe more meter and things like that. And that's the approach that I try to take when I'm, when I'm jumping into something to look at it. Yeah. Even like data lines, if I have one that, um, I feel like it's getting pulled down by a module. So you just, whatever module is plugged in, data line goes low, unplug it, comes back up. Sometimes it's easy to just order the module up, plug it in and Mm -hmm. hope for the best. And so sometimes I will go get like my high impedance test slate or something and I will scope that data line while loading it a little bit because is it capable of flowing a tiny bit of current, tiny bit. Sure. But you know, how much does this affect it? Sure. Because I'm starting to wonder, you know, if I have some very light load, you know, little more than a meter. Uh, I don't know. A scope probably doesn't load it quite enough either, but that would be a little bit better than a uh, meter because typically meters are 10 million, uh, you know, internal. We'll just say internal resistance, but Mm -hmm. technically it's impedance. Scopes usually are, depending on what ones, you have to look them all up because they're all different. Uh, Some are like 100 uh, K ohm. Mm Mm-hmm. 100,000. Some of them are one meg. You got to look it up. Um, but that would, either case, they offer a little more load to the circuit than the meter. And then if you can add, you know, if that isn't quite enough to do what you need, then you can turn to something else. Sometimes a high impedance test light is perfect. Sometimes it's even still too much load. But it's something to just verify, like, okay, this system is capable of generating the current. This module is just dumping it to ground. Mm -hmm. Whereas you start testing sometimes you realize like, well, no, 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 I'm going to get this module, plug it in. And I could anyways, like I don't trust my test, plug in the new module, does the same freaking thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, now I got to figure out how is, 
where does this network get its, you know, energy from power from and to be able to deliver that, I might've accidentally, you know, made a bad call based off, uh, you know, an unloaded test. That's, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't run into a situation like that. So it's, the by removing the module, you're taking a stress off that network, and it's able yep. to come back and yep. and the rest and of it talk. The vast majority of the time, it's the modules dumping at the ground. The vast majority of the time, it's just the right. one, one, two times that jump right out at me. It's where like ah, I put that module in there, and oh no, that didn't fix it. Is that is that it's like a different a, module? Um, like I'm thinking like GM. A single wire communication where a single yeah, or one of or two modules will provide the bias on the network uh two or even one okay there's just one master module yep. putting it out there a lot of times okay. the body control module got it All right. and you know for whatever reason and these are the two cases i had and you know unplugging other modules didn't seem to have the same effect. And maybe a flaw in the test at the time was unplug it, wasn't affected, plugged it back in, where it would have been interesting to unplug and leave them unplugged as I go. And then if I have this whole, you know, and it timing and which module it is and where you started and ended up probably factor in, I finally get to this other, this last module and unplug it, maybe going around and plugging everything else back in and seeing if it comes back up. And then if that's not the case, you know, mm-hmm. jacking around with that. But, you know, I just found that it's like, hey, you know, just a quick test, see what happens. And yeah. I'm not saying it stays rock solid at whatever voltage, seven volts. It pulls, pulls it down a little ways. But I know when I plug that module in, it dumps it to ground. So mm-hmm. if I put a small load on there, you know, it's not powering up no test light, not not a incandescent style, mm-hmm. but just like a high impedance test light. If it'll power that up, that's a little bit of a load. It's just another, you know, checkbox that it's capable of delivering some current. Most likely this module has failed. You know, that. Yep. I don't know. There's very few things I'll ever say that are like just hard and, you know, hard and true, you know, but. Right. And that's <laughs> definitely not one of them. Uh, it's yeah. yeah especially when it comes to networks. <laughs> and it could have been just bad luck with the other, the other two. Um, but, you know, it's just that one quick extra test that gives me a little more confidence. Mm-hmm. There isn't much confidence to begin with. So a little bit more <laughs> to just say like, hey, I'm reasonably well, yeah, uh, sure this module is bad. That's the thing is, uh, yeah, like I mentioned, having multiple tools that you understand how they work and then you can test things multiple ways. Why not? Why not do that? Um, and uh, give yourself that much more confidence to call a specific part or whatever, get you to where you need to go. Um and kind of picking on the power probe, um, for some of us, is the best thing ever. I, I, I mean, I love that thing. You know, I can, whatever, depending on what I'm testing, 
but I have power and ground right there in my hand. Yeah, that is and that is can, handy. You know, if I'm messing around with you know window motors, depending on you know those have changed significantly now too, depending <laughs> on the car. Yeah, but you could be there and just now I can I got power feeding ground right. I got power and ground right there. Boom! I can just force it whichever way I want. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know I got this ground. I, it should be able to handle a, a quick twenty amps. And I just I'll put power on that ground just to see if it'll pop the breaker. Okay. Um, you know, something like that. Uh, if I got a module that doesn't communicate and a bad ground, and it's just like, okay, and just quick hit ground on there, and now I can talk to it. Okay, I got to just trace this down. This will be you know, done deal. Or I sell them a yeah. power probe and I tape it ground and then ship the car. <laughs> um the uh i use the real uh, the retractable I love those things leads. i yeah. love those things two- a lot of times like it's the same thing you're mentioning is to have power ground where yep. like underneath where everything's rusty or in the car and everything's plastic yep. i love having battery ground and um, yeah power that's right a, there that's a key I, I i don't think that could be stressed enough is get to the battery Mm-hmm. And what those reels or the power probe, not to make this a power probe commercial, but either case, you have battery power, battery ground right there. I, I love those. They're what two, two wire 30 foot leads magnetic. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I have man, three, four of them. Yeah. They're fantastic. Just don't yep. uh, send a whole lot of current through them. They'll melt. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting if you read them. And I rarely read anything, but I don't know why I read this one. I thought it was funny. When it's coiled up, the maximum they say is six amps. Okay. They should say like six amps for more no less no more than ten minutes or something, but they say it's six amps. If it's completely uncoiled, you can go up to ten amps. Okay. Which I I just think that's funny. <laughs> Cause I'm guessing that if you're flowing much more than six amps without reeled up, you're gonna have yourself a little bit of a hot plate. You could probably uh, cook lunch okay. on it while you're. I gotcha. One of those rainy days, you could be warming up some Campbell's soup on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's something you learn real quick. Is uh, I mean, it's one way to figure it out that yeah, current's gonna make heat, and uh, you, you realize. Oh, this amount of amperage will melt my test leads or melt plastic or uh, melt my. <laughs> if you have the wrong bulb in your test light, melt the plastic on the inside of your test light. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's a good point because it's been a while since I've had one, but when there's kind of a dead short to ground on a circuit, I like to put power to it. So. I don't know, whatever. It's it's a shorted courtesy light mm-hmm. wire. And, you know, it's fused for 10 amps, but I'm not going to put 10 amps on it. I'm going to put like, you know, two or three amps on it. Uh-huh. But if I let that car sit in the shop for a few hours or overnight, and I come in and I hook that light up. So, you know, because I'm using the light to... Um, buffer or regulate the current on that wire and it's going to glow nice and bright because it's a dead short and I just let it sit walk away from it for 
you know, what, 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, go go find the boss and bring up something about hockey, and that'll kill 45 minutes. <laughs> then I go get my infrared camera, thermal imager, and start looking around, and it's pretty amazing. You know, you might have to pull some panels here and there, depending on where the wires go. But a lot of times, yeah. even with the panels on, you can get a kind of a hint uh, where it's shorted because it'll be some heat. Because everything uh-huh. else, you have thermal equilibrium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're bringing out the big terms. But everything's about the same temperature until you hook up that light and flow some current through that wire. Now it's building heat. Okay. And you can, it's that's remarkable. A, that's a, that's a badass tip. Yeah. It gets me in the ballpark. Like I know uh-huh. like, okay, I want to look in the B pillar here and I pull the panels and it's, it may end up like right there uh-huh. or now with the wires exposed, I can go, Oh no, it keeps going. Oh, it's going under the carpet here. Peel the carpet back. And then, Oh, somebody, we need to put this on a hoist. And then, Oh, somebody was must not have liked their exhaust shield rattle anymore, so they ran some big sheet metal screws up through the bottom. <laughs> you know what I mean? That and it's like yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a fantastic tip. And then uh, especially if it's you know winter time, yes, around Winter's here, just leave, leave it that. sit outside for a yes. little while, and boy, you're gonna find that quick. Yeah, anybody wants to bash winners, just <laughs> you, you have. <laughs> Yeah, you got a short or sometimes parasitic drains. Yeah, depending on the, the amperage. outside in zero degrees and go out there with a thermal imager. It's gonna, yeah, it's going to pop up. It's going to be very, very obvious. There's some contrast. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's blue except that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to actually think. I get... I get a few calls for short to grounds, but usually the ones I get called on are intermittents. Um, oh yeah, those are the ones they want me to come look at, and I, I, I try to avoid intermittents as much as possible. But those are those are. I mean, you got to assess the circuit and see how big it is. If there's only a few things on it, okay, it's visual. Let's see if we can find it. But like you say, if it's a interior lighting circuit like i don't know which does that can you could be there all day trying to find that if it's not popping all the time yeah i have two cars one's a chevy pickup and one's a ford pickup wildly wildly intermittent parasitic drains and i'm not even sure what they want me to do i don't even know i (laughs) you know they'll leave the car with me for a month and i'll throw the Vantage Pro on there and, uh, you know, or whatever I got to do, anything. Pico with a current probe and it'll sit for a week and never, never break, you know, 30 milliamps. Wow. And I'll drive them and I'll, you know, make everybody take them for lunch to go drive them and turn every accessory on and off and, I mean, the ones we had for a month, I don't think it ever broke 30 milliamps. And then he took it home. I think it was good for a month or two. And then one morning, once went out and it was dead. Hmm. Was like, yeah, doesn't your machine tell you where the 
<laughs> you just plug in the computer. <laughs> I had that machine. I wouldn't even have to work anymore. <laughs> yeah, let me know when you find that one. Who makes it? <laughs> yeah, I, I've been just avoiding the intermittent stuff altogether because it it is just not time con- conducive. If it's if we can't duplicate the problem and more and more that I'm doing this, like I want to guarantee my answer, right? As a tech, maybe I'd be okay throwing a part at it. Now what I'm doing, what I'm charging, I don't want to throw a part at anything. Like I want to have proof. I want to have conclusive tests. Um, and you know, you always get to that point where it's like, well, is it this or this? But, um, I, I just, I tell people like, I can't charge you my rate and guess at a part. And that's what we'd be doing. Um, and so I've almost all but eliminated them. The only the way that they slip through is if the shop is um, maybe not sure themselves or just not descriptive what's happening. And then I end up getting, you know, tossed into one where it's not, not acting up or whatever, but it is so tough when you're trying to, when I got a whole day schedule, like I drive to this place and this place and this place. And then all I'm hearing this car isn't acting up. I'm like, oh man, this it, sucks. It's almost blasphemous. But there are times, depending on the component, mm-hmm. where it's almost cheaper to just replace it than the test. Yeah. In that situation, it's, I agree. And a brick and mortar might have a little bit easier time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where there's, uh, almost a hypocrisy amongst <clears throat> shops, shop owners, shop management where they'll, you know, in this conversation complain about trying to get paid diagnostic time from the client. Mm-hmm. You don't appreciate, you know, what it takes to diagnose these vehicles or, you know, work on the vehicles and then they'll hire somebody mobile or another shop or whatever, a tech to come in at night to you know inspect analyze diagnose some system and then they don't they don't really necessarily want to pay either so it's you got this <laughs> bit of a hypocrisy yep um but in certain cases like if you suggested such a thing you know whatever this i don't know pick a component i don't know sure that very reasonably could be the issue like statistically, even the probabilities are really high that this is the issue, mm-hmm. and it costs. You know, the part is your cost, their cost, fifty bucks, a hundred bucks, and they can have it installed in fifteen minutes. How much time can you spend testing? Like you could check uh, power feed ground, all that hours. pretty easy signal, whatever. But to really like dynamically test it, uh huh. If it cost, if it took you an hour legitimately, and I'm not saying like dragging your feet, like let's just for the sake of discussion, legitimately would take an hour. Mm-hmm. That's probably more than the cost of the part and to put it in and to know. It, it's yeah. It's a, I'm not saying it happens every day. Like you know, I say it every day, so I don't have to test anything. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it. There are times where it's just like, I don't think I can test this for what it will cost to just slam the part in there and see. And you end up being right a lot. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, yeah, your gut feeling on a lot of stuff ends up being correct. Not definitely not always, but a lot of the time, once you've done, done this for a while, you learn to trust it. For me, it's usually like my gut feeling is telling me it's not that part. That's when I like really got to listen because I'm almost 100% right in that case. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a probabilities game and you're not, you know, I'm not suggesting to do it out of laziness. That would be way the wrong reason. It's and 99% of the time my reason, but it shouldn't be the reason. The yep. reason should be logical. Like the the probability of this being the issue is quite high. Mm-hmm. But to test and prove this may take Outweighs me, the yeah. cost of the part. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot and of sense. And there I sit, like, what do you want to do? And mm-hmm. not so much to the client, but service advisor, or in your case, to the shop manager, or service advisor, or whoever you end up dealing with, shop foreman. And I just don't feel like they should look at you cross-eyed with that. They should be like, you know, I know I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, let me check. Yeah. You're right. Our cost is like 50 bucks. If we're wrong, we'll, you know, we'll eat 50 bucks. Boom. And, um, you know, and I, I get it labor, but yeah, it all depends on what part we're talking about. Yeah, I guess, I'm not but. saying slamming freaking phasers and chains and guides, you know, yeah unless it's you know, like a chevy or a ford or a mini or a bmw or <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute let me i gotta restate this almost every time slam chains and guys and phasers but only after you do an oil flush always do that first well uh speaking of phasers and stuff um and i don't know if we're going off topic it doesn't really matter it's my show and do what i want um (laughs) um, the uh that uh phaser solenoid in that malibu that i called you about a few weeks ago i didn't uh, i did an episode on it because i thought it was pretty interesting that car's been fixed i haven't heard anything back and i've been waiting every day to get the call like oh it's doing it again or whatever we got no we We should have timing codes recorded that podcast that's that's what I figured. I was like, this guy is going to call back with timing codes or, you know, same symptoms tomorrow. And I haven't heard anything. And I've been to that shop. So, you know, sometimes I wonder when I don't hear from, you know, a particular vehicle, like, and I don't have the 100% confidence. I'm like, did that come back? And they were just pissed. They didn't call me, but I don't, I'm sure almost always I'll, I'll hear about it if it, if it does. But anyways, haven't heard anything about this car. And so that was just, I've had some people post some stuff in the Facebook group, you know, very, I, I think, um, pro- probably accurate, uh, very in-depth like descriptions of how this is causing the problem that I had, but man, it still kind of racks my brain on exactly the symptoms I had with a solenoid causing that, especially unplugged, like, I don't even, I don't even, I, I don't know. I, I'd really have to take something apart to really understand how that one's working out. Yeah. I know we were the one time we were talking, it might've been strategy. Yeah. Well, there's, that's the thing is two questions is why only during, um, auto stop start does it 
act funny? And, and that might be the easier question. It might just be a strategy that they don't list, right? And they're doing something with air fuel delivery. Uh, PJ Walter told me that uh, in Toyotas, they, the, the ECM memorizes the cam crank as the engine comes to a stop and it uses that on restart, but it does not faster. do that on a key cycle. Yep. And that might be a similar strategy at GM. I'm like, well, that makes a whole lot of sense if that's what's going on and we have a timing issue here. Yep. Um, and then uh, somebody else said something with the solenoid and, and um, some oil pressure, but um, I, not out of favoritism, but PJ's, that that would be a strategy uh, that's kind of a known strategy that could cause it. The mm-hmm. other thing is, is kind of like, I don't know, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. It's really not my goal. Toot away. No, I, but it's been brought up before. Is a, a lot of times when they're writing the software or program or whatever, for any given system or sequence of events, they don't necessarily account for everything. So they're, everything's written so that everything works within certain parameters. And when it falls outside right. of that, now you're into something usually, usually considered um, like failure mode effects management or uh, outside of a parameter. And how it reacts is, it depends on, did they account for it? Which in a lot of the cases is no. No, I I don't, in, I, like we don't know. I don't know how much time they have to do this. How much of it are they doing? How much of it's, you know, not trying to say like the machines are taking over the world, but how much of it is machine learning? How much of it is AI you know, you know, is that really reached automotive yet? I don't, I don't know. I think some cases, maybe special cases, it's heavily involved. Other cases, not at all. But if they don't account for certain things, the behavior of the car is wildly illogical. Because it just goes crazy, right? Because the, you know, the calculator or the counting box, right? The, mm-hmm. the control module is a counter, just count stuff goes squirrely if it doesn't know what to do mm-hmm. and, and you get the weirdest stuff you know and the one that usually pops in my head is uh, Hyundai's with single cylinder misfires with cam timing off that doesn't make any sense right and I find that the most reasonable answer is they've never really accounted for any of that failure outside of whatever parameter that is if they expect cam and crank correlation to be within five degrees when it goes outside of that and they don't have anything set up until maybe a DTC sets but the DTC doesn't set till later mm-hmm. it it doesn't miscounts it just it, it doesn't know what to do anymore you know I'm not saying a computer just says F it but um, it just it, does it does what it can with what it has yeah, you it's know, only got that? so much ability to adapt based on the programming it was given. Right. And then, yeah, well, that's the thing is if you're engineering this thing, it'd almost be impossible to conceive all the possible ways 
that an engine can fail or a control system can fail or whatever it is. And there's invariably going to be one that you didn't foresee and you didn't put that into the programming and it can't adapt to. And then who knows <laughs> what it's going to do, what interesting thing that's going to happen. And I think that's, yeah, a lot of the, the weird stuff that we see. I'm trying to think of one. Cause I know, I know that I've experienced this multiple times on different cars and I'm kind of drawing a blank on a good example right now, but uh, it happens uh, on vehicles where they just they have some very weird symptoms based on what's wrong but that's just how everything kind of worked out and it wasn't accounted for it wasn't planned for and that's that's what we've got to deal with <laughs> <laughs> yeah now you got me thinking but that, that was the one that usually pops in my head because it seems so it's, out there that's a good example yeah you don't see that very often um I mean, even outside of computer stuff, uh, you know, um, we see this with cars, like a single cylinder misfire from contaminated fuel. I ran into that. That's freaking weird. Like, that's super, super weird. But it just happened to be like the way the rail's set up on that particular vehicle, it gets a single cylinder misfire from contaminated fuel. Um, and, they didn't they didn't conceive that when they designed it like they didn't think that was going to happen but it does that's a, a thing that can you yeah, can I run mean, into yeah. you could depend that kind of almost makes sense when you start thinking about it because if you dump the fuel in some you know beaker or whatever and let it sit and it separates mm-hmm. depending on what it's contaminated with the gasoline sits on top you know if it's contaminated with water Gasoline will be on top. Mm-hmm. And if the rail itself, well, you know, I'm not saying the rail's bent in any such a way, but the way the rail sits is there's a high point and a low point. Gasoline's going to the high, higher side. The water will go to the low side. And assuming, you know, you usually see this on um, returnless fuel systems, which almost everything is now. Mm-hmm. So when you had to return style system, it, this wasn't it, an kind issue. Kind of suck it out of there, yeah. Right. But with these, yeah, sits for a while, separates. Uh-huh. Now that one injector is basically getting all the contaminated or the water or the whatever. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, once you, once you figure it out, sometimes it does make sense. But leading up to it, like, you just, you don't make that connection. Yeah. Um, or at least I, I definitely didn't when I went through that one. Um it's never happened to me, but I've seen case studies on old, I guess older, older, um, I would say primarily like the Dodge line of V8s. And I guess the V6. So we're talking, uh, I don't know if the four sevens were involved, but maybe five, two, five, nine V8s, three, nine V6, I think. Returnless fuel systems. And the fuel ta- fuel pump was sit- designed in such a way so that the electric fuel pump sat inside of a kind of like a cup. Okay. That also, so there's a sock on the bottom of the fuel pump, fuel pump, the electric motor portion. Mm-hmm. And that sat inside of basically a cup that also had a fuel sock on it. And... When the fuel level was above, you know, whatever, a quarter tank or so, the fuel could run over the 
top of the lips of the cup and keep it the cup full and that's the fuel pump would pull it out of that cup and pump it up the rail but the fuel mm-hmm. level would drop below that the only way for the fuel to get into the cup was through the sock if the sock became contaminated fuel couldn't get into the cup so you get something called fuel pump cavitation which means it was just pumping air mm-hmm. fuel and air and the rails sat in such a way that the front cylinders, so we're talking Chrysler would be what, one and two? Mm-hmm. That um, one and two would start misfiring. Start up the hmm. car would be fine, and then after a little bit, a minute, five minutes, ten minutes, one would start misfiring, two would start misfiring. And maybe if it ran long enough, three and four would start misfiring a little bit. Because this thing is pumping air, and because the rail was tipped a little bit, where the one and two were higher than seven and eight, or you know five and six, they would be pumping, or the injectors would be trying to inject an air fuel mixture <laughs> instead of <laughs> sure, just the fuel. Sure. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> um, I never got to see that live. I. You know, the ones I got would just run okay and then just go to hell in a handbasket and uh-huh. misfire, period. Um, That's so yeah, interesting. The, yeah. And the diagnostic test from that was either, uh, my favorite was just a nice clear uh, fuel grade tube hose. Mm-hmm. And, um, Disconnect the fuel line at the rail. Connect the hose uh, to the line from the tank, you know, and route it back into the fuel tank. Jump the fuel pump relay, and wait. And uh, in short order, all of a sudden, you'd see they're just filled with air bubbles. Yeah, all those trucks for me, they're just all extended cranks. I guess I got lucky. <laughs> like. Those fuel pumps just never hold, held, or the regulator in right, the, the right. tank would just puke fuel pressure. That, that was what I remember from those ones. But, um, boy, yeah, some crazy comp problems that can come from, the, you know, the the complex systems that are built into these vehicles. You just don't know what's going to happen and, and something like that. Man, that's it's got to take either a very smart person or a lot of effort to sort through something like that to get to the solution and figure out what's wrong. Yep. Usually, usually for me on something (laughs) like that, it's, it's effort. It's okay. All right. I've replaced every single part. What's left. (laughs) Yep. Any successes I have like that, it's usually attributed to pure dumb luck. There's only so many parts on the car. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it needed it anyways. I mean, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, the, this, the thing took out the other thing. That's why I'm <laughs> replacing both of those. So. I usually tell people that's a good, or, you know, clients, like generally that's a good way to determine if you're kind of getting jerked around. Yeah. Because if they give you the daisy chain thing. Uh-huh. I um I had a 16 RAM today that they call me to program the rack. Well, number one, you don't have to program the racks on those. It's a key up thing um, on that particular model. Uh, 
Um, and I, I didn't look for it went. They just called me like, Hey, can you program this? Okay. So I came up, didn't need to be programmed, but I'll go through, I'll do the steering angle thing and make sure everything's good while well, I started off. And so I, t- I turned the wheel like a quarter turn binds up and then it's free and then it binds up another quarter turn later. I'm like, I look, I look over the guy. I was like, what was the problem with this one? It was binding. And they replaced this rack. They waited like two weeks for, and I mean, I knew, I knew exactly what was wrong. Cause I worked as a tech for a long time. And, um, uh, you know, it's, there's a little U joint in the yep. steering shaft and I looked down, it's all rusty. And I had the guy turn it. I'm like, yeah, I think that's your problem. Um, and, uh, he, he, he was like, I could tell like the look on his face immediately was like, Oh shit. And, um, then he starts backpedaling to me. Like I'm the customer. He's like, well, we had these codes in there and, and maybe this is, you know, took out the rack. And uh, I was like, whatever, dude, it ain't my thing. I like, (laughs) I, I, I'm glad I don't work here (laughs) that I don't have to like, you know, deal with the customer side of things, but that's the sort of stuff that you hear, right? It's the backpedaling because this was a to do to get this rack in this vehicle, not only the labor, but just getting the part and the cost of it and everything. And, you know, say he's got the same problem. Um, that, that does happen a lot. And it's, it's uh, from what I see, it's rarely, um, malicious. It's usually almost always incompetence. Yeah. And sometimes when we say incompetence, it comes off extremely condescending. Yeah. Arrogant. Yes. Yes. Definitely. Incompetent fool. Right. Right. Incompetence. It really doesn't mean that like there is probably uh, no, there's no, probably there is a lot of stuff I do that I am fairly incompetent when it really comes down to brass tacks, fairly incompetent. I get away with a lot. Same here. And, um, you know, to say you're fully competent in something that would be pretty, pretty darn arrogant. Not that it doesn't exist, but it's probably narrow subjects or, subjects or feet not fields but i uh, maybe fields to a degree but anyways the um the incompetence thing it's something you're always going to be working with and to say that somebody's incompetent just means they weren't fully competent and it doesn't mean like lack of mental facilities it could be mm-hmm. knowledge you know, a theory, experience, wisdom gained from experience. So this goes back ways. This, when you're saying that, it reminded me a little bit of one uh, shop I worked at a long time ago. Um, the Dodge Ram uh, pickup. It would have probably been in the uh, the truck was probably in late '80s, early '90s. Mm-hmm. Dodge Ram. And that complaint was very hard to steer. And uh, another shop had put a new power steering pump in it, new um, steering gear. And uh, one of the our other techs was looking at it, and he was getting ready to pull the trigger on another power steering pump. Mm-hmm. It's just not getting any assist. And we might we might have put it on there. He might have put it on there. Because uh, this also had, I think, had the solenoid in the power steering pump to help regulate pressure. 
Sure. So whatever they called that, like EPSS or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it, of course, didn't fix it. So, of course, they now they sick me on it. <laughs> and I'm like, power steering? I don't know anything about power steering. <laughs> oh, it's got a solenoid on it. You know, you're going to have to test that. <laughs> I'm thinking that's more for um, steering feel when you're flying down the highway than actually affecting the ability to steer at. In a know, parking lot. Yeah. So, verify there is no assist. <laughs> <laughs> but that pump is whining. It is whining. So I, you know, I ask him like, "How is this thing to steer with the engine off?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a piece of cake, you know." But he's got it up on the hoist. Mm. And so the steering wheel moves fairly easy, but I don't know. Set it down on the ground. You need a breaker bar to turn it. <laughs> and both lower ball joints, although not loose, I think were just pure rust, like just all rust. Sure. And I got enough like free all in there, at least as a proof of concept, mm-hmm. that I got some free all in there. I think I just ripped the boot out of there. Yeah, I just cut the boots right off the freaking ball joints. Right, right. And soaked them anyways. down and um, got at least a proof of concept that we put some ball joints in this thing, it'll fix it. So they're yeah. binding so bad that it was all the power steering pump system could do to offer some assist <laughs> <laughs> to make it remotely drivable. I'm trying to remember <clears throat> if there was an ASE question on that. I probably wrote it. No, there. (laughs) For some reason, it rings a bell on the steering suspension test, but I don't. I don't know that for sure. Um, I did run into it one time. I've I've seen that one time where a steering component was the reason for the, um, you know, the binding or the the difficult steering. I'm pretty sure the U joint one's on there. Um, I. I didn't write it, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that on there where it's, mm-hmm. if it's not on oh. the actual test itself, it's on the app. It might be on the app. I took the uh, L4 just the other Tuesday morning. Yeah. What so. do you think? Um, I thought it went pretty well. You know, it was 80 questions and you don't know which ones are um, scored and which ones are Just the not. ones Perkins wrote. Mine are not. Mine are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, mine, mine, my, I really pushed hard for our targets to be um, Domino pizza boxes, but <laughs> that got shot down. <laughs> they didn't like that one. Uh, evidently, they like Pizza Hut. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought it went pretty well. I mean, considering um, I'm pretty inexperienced with ADOS. Um, I did some studying um, and got some advice from some people. I think the biggest thing for half of the test is if you can search and read service info, yeah, you're going to do pretty well. And that's yep. what I that's what I can say about that test. Um, yeah, and I think I was in the first. I, I don't think I was in the first first one, but I was in the second through. I don't know. There's a fair number of them workshops. Mm-hmm. 
and and then for a while the timing got horrible and that's i think when keith was, was there okay um or he just you know so i had i you know they said i could if i could had time to hop in hop in and timing sucked yeah um because i really liked being involved in that um but the sheer volume of servants information that was put together not yeah. not what you were subjected to <laughs> okay before it got whittled down was wow. astronomical like it was going to be a huge issue and it still is an issue but i think they solved it pretty well with a kind of a search function yeah a, a navigation function to navigate the service information yeah i just used control f um yeah, so that worked fantastically well for that um so the we we're oh, gonna have big problems because i think the number of pages was <laughs> significant i'll say this and i was thinking it during the test if every car i worked on had service info like that that composite <laughs> yeah. vehicle my life would be so goddamn easy because it's right. just it's like i want to know what's on this or, you know where's the five volts coming from on this circuit or what what systems are involved with this system working correctly oh it's all right here <laughs> so yeah. you can tell like technicians wrote this test <laughs> or the made the composite vehicle um i was uh i was th- i was like damn i wish every car was like this or every service info was like that but it would be I, cool I, I to write test. questions like real world where somebody yeah. the problem is, is like I write the question and if it makes the te- exam, I will never, if somebody has a problem with it, I probably don't ever hear about it. But yeah. the, the, um, test managers, they get the phone calls and it, it's brutal how badly they get beat up on some stuff. And a lot of times oh, I bet. I it bet. is not the exam. It's not the question. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the person calling doesn't know as much as they think they do. Oh. I, yeah. I worked with a guy like that who would, he, you know, he tried taking a few tests and he, all it's all he was doing was bitching and complaining how this was inaccurate and this was a bad question and blah, 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 blah. And I don't know, I had taken enough of those tests to know, that you know outside of a few things they're all pretty legit and then you've talked about it keith's talked about it scott's talked about it like it's so much work just to make one question on those tests um i i I thought it was very well constructed tests i did that and i restarted the l1 um at the same time so um yeah and i keep on getting those and I got to research my L3. I never did the L2. I'm just not a diesel guy. I've never been a diesel guy. Um, and I don't plan on being a diesel guy, so I never got that one. But I'm going to keep all the rest of them up. I don't know if I consider myself a diesel guy. I don't shy away from them. Maybe I should, but I don't. Um, but, I, yeah, I guess I haven't raced to get L2. I probably should just get a... You know, at least a, of course, a one through a nine, and then L one through L four probably should just do it for, you know, support of it. And mm-hmm. well, yeah, you're gonna see a bunch of your own questions on there. Probably not. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> It'll be I'll get mine wrong. 
Who wrote this question? That's crazy. I'll be the one calling, like, hey, this question's broken. Well, the author seemed to think it was D. Well, that author is a jackass. <laughs> He's You're a the author. What? <laughs> That's the best question I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think there was only one question on between those two tests that I thought there was two answers that could, like, I could definitely see either one of these, and I just had to give it a 50-50. And I wish I recalled what that test was. It was L1, and it was either a failed module, gosh dang it, or something else. I wish I remembered what it was, but I was like, man, I know that could cause it. I know that could cause it, and I just had to guess. But other than that, I mean, considering there's 130 questions between the two tests, and that was the only one that I had pause on, Yeah, you know, there's some that I just didn't know, but that one, like, I knew that stuff, and I'm like... Boy, I could see that being an answer and that being an answer, but uh, you know, if, when if there's it, a way to flag them or at least try to remember the question or the question number, you know, yeah. question fifty, and then they can look up which version of the L one or whatever exam sure. you're taking and go, okay, this was. 50. I should have done that, and then they can talk to you about it. And a lot of like it, it may legitimately be broken. It may be a question that's not being scored. Um, you know, so whether you got it right or wrong would not have affected your score, but it's kind of going through that trial and mm-hmm. it's legitimately, you know, it got by the the group, it got by the subject mm-hmm. matter experts in the workshop. I mean, yeah, it, it happens. Stuff happens. Yep. You know, um, or, or it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, yeah. Okay. What do you think about this part of the, the, the stem or, you know, where they're building the information or this piece of data. Yeah. How do you something think that, that I missed. Right. Right. And then you're yep. kind of like, Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, pr- I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was the case. Um, I've, I've done it on the app, you know, mm-hmm. like just answer a question too quick without not, without looking and I get it wrong, and then it's like, what, what do you mean wrong? And then I'll look at it again and be like, I suck. They need to give me that one back. And you wait for the sister and get that one. Sister question. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I got to wait until September, I think, for the L4 to see if I pass it or not. But I have uh, a pretty good feeling I did okay. Well, so. you're the kind of the bar, so... <laughs> that's, that's that's not good <laughs> wherever you fall that's kind of where the bar is going to be oh boy <laughs> I think it's kind of like uh, I'm, I'm positive Keith has said it uh, ADOS is not unlike programming where it's pretty easy until it isn't yep and yeah it's just the calibrations Follow the freaking directions. Like, actually read the directions. Usually, no problem. And then if Mm -hmm. a problem is not working, then, you know, sometimes it can get rough on what's wrong. Like, sometimes you luck out and you look and the radar is not seated properly and it's aimed up at the sky. 
uh-huh. you know, or they never modules flip backwards. Or yeah. Whatever. Something right for the, um, blind spots. A lot of times they put the, um, module, which is part, the radars in it. They put them in backwards or something like that. And then sometimes it's, it will mess with you, you know, and then depending on, you know, the collision shot being honest with you, hmm. you know, where did, where did the blind spots not working or failing a calibration or whatever, or failing on a test drive. Like it's not seeing the cars and what, where did this thing get hit? Oh, it got hit in the back. What'd you all replace? Oh, we did the bumper skin. We did the, you know, the modules, we did the harness and you know, whatever else. Mm-hmm. And you're like, where'd you get the bumper from? Oh, it's OE. Yeah. And then you find out it's not, or, you know, they didn't replace the bumper. They fixed it. And it, they did a marvelous job. It looks beautiful. But guess where they put the um, filler? The filler, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, I think, um, I think Reynolds, Mike Reynolds, has had a series um, of at least posts, and most certainly ran into these, where the the bumpers might be fine themselves, but the stickers. Like the part number stickers are right uh-huh. in the vicinity of the uh, sensor or the radar. That's what, uh, and uh, some of them are like reflective. Yeah. That's what Keith and issues. PJ were telling me is that those, those uh, CAPTA or whatever stickers are yeah. <laughs> right in the wrong spot. I think That's the, crazy. I think the first time I saw reference to such an issue, I saw from either saw or maybe Mike was telling me at Vision or. I ran into him at SEMA too. He might have told me about it at Vision. The more I think about it, I think it was Vision. I think uh, he right. did his presentation, and uh, Thornton and I were in there shooting the breeze with him. It was just a jacked up, pro- you know. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's oh. <laughs> that's crazy. What's uh, what's the next training event you're going to? Um, I guess technically Bimmers will be in the AES wave booth at Bimmers, uh, okay. beginning of October in Las Vegas. Cause evidently everything this year is in Las Vegas, except ASTE. Mm-hmm. They have, uh, I guess vision's not moving to Vegas. But that's next year. Um, I think Bimmers is the next one. I thought about ASTE. It'd be fun to go, but man, it's just, I just got back from Napa Expo in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Bimmers is at the beginning of October. Apex is at the end of October. I might be going to that. Not sure. You know, yeah, you can only September. do so many of these things. Yeah. End of September is ASTE. It's a lot of time away from the shop. It's a lot of time away from home. Still got some young kids yet. They can't be left home alone. Mm-hmm. Wife works full time. Sorry, just I would love to go to all this stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta pick and choose for sure. I get it. I heard you're gonna be there, so like, gotta keep my distance. That restraining order. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to 
going somewhere. Um, I need to go. I need to go on an actual vacation at some point. I was thinking about it. I haven't been on an actual vacation, like not work related, since before COVID. I'm like, oh, I should probably do that at some point or another. But um, yeah, they all my trips just all end up being <laughs> like training events or something like that, and that's my that's my time away. <laughs> yeah, I don't so. know. I mean, Pedro and I. Pedro Della Torre and I were both out at uh, Estes Park in Colorado, I think almost at the same exact time. And I kept trying to meet up with him. He'd say like, oh yeah, we're, we're here. And then I'd go there and they weren't there. And he's like, oh no, we went here. And then I'd go there and he wasn't there. I, I think <laughs> just bad timing, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, uh, but that's really, that's pretty cool uh, out there. Very, okay. Uh, very pretty. Uh, if you like mountains. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I've, I've been out to Denver. It's pretty cool there. Yeah, this is just a little bit west of that, I think. Not very far. Okay. Um, we ended up renting a house because that was cheaper than a hotel. Like an Airbnb I, thing? Not technically, but yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's more of like a corporation was involved. Mm. You know, like a corporate owned house sure sure um so they probably had a few of them and it's the they're on a ski resort so a bunch of houses on a ski resort and of course they had the hotels there too but you know we're just outside the rocky mountain national park and uh yeah it's just gorgeous and if you can get away from the light pollution you know the stars are pretty bright Sure. Yeah, we don't need the James Webb. We just turn the lights off. <laughs> a long way. <laughs> are you seeing a long ways or are you seeing a long way back? Um, well, yeah. Well, isn't It's entanglement, so you're kind of there or it's there and you're there. Or I don't know how that all works, but... <laughs> Whatever you look at, you're looking at the history of it. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, so no matter like what, a, no matter what, you're the star's at not even there. Sometimes, very possible. There's stars you look up at the sky that are no longer there. That's pretty crazy. Burnt out. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So when they're talking about looking into, I don't know so much about the birth of the universe. Is a big, maybe a little optimistic but they're really looking back in time and a long ways Bill- <laughs> potentially just, potentially bi- billions of years that's just cr- yeah that's crazy that light can just last that long right that it outlives its source it's just that's, that's pretty man. crazy to think it's just particles man <laughs> cool well, I think that's yeah, a you great. Want to go down a great, rabbit great, hole, Let's right? right. <laughs> you got two more hours, <laughs> or a black hole. That'll have to be the subject of another automotive diagnostic podcast. Oh, I'm down. I'm always interested in that stuff. Who knows if the listeners are, but uh, I find it very interesting. So <laughs> you have listeners. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it's you and Skundrich. That's it. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I get two downloads every week. <laughs> <laughs> I have one, like three, but one of them's my mom. So yeah, I was, was going to say, well, one time my mom did, but then she didn't <laughs> listen anymore. <laughs> I've had I've had some friends be like, oh, oh, you have a podcast. Oh, you should send me the link or whatever. And at first I did. And they're like, oh, I didn't understand any of that. So now when people say I'm like, ah, you don't want to listen to it. <laughs> Bill, yeah. The ones they always listen to right off the bat is a Metallica one. Like they see that one. They're like, what? Uh-huh. So they listen to that. And then I think uh, Karm relaunched the... Um, the pro wrestling one, so they'll listen to that. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, if they listen to the divorce one, usually they're calling crying. Um, but yeah, that's about it. The, they listen to the one that we were talking about with the lightning strike pickup. Uh huh. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just. I mean, it'd be the same thing for me. Listen to something head. that I know nothing about. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> cool man i appreciate your time Uh, anytime okay that's gonna do it for today's episode another big thank you to matt for coming on my show and again if you have not checked out matt's show there's a link in the show notes do that uh take a listen he's got some great stuff on there i listen every wednesday morning so Before I let you go, uh, last thing I wanted to remind everybody, if you're looking to get your hands on any top-down equipment, scan tools, battery testers, ADAS alignment equipment, thermal imagers, you name it, they got it all. Um, I really focus in on the scan tools a lot because I use them all the time. I actually do use these things. That's why I started being a distributor so that I could help out the local shops to me. But I have also been helping out a lot of podcast listeners uh, get some of these tools. They're reasonably priced. They are pretty impressive as far as what they can do. Um, but if you got any questions on any of that stuff, uh, I would be happy to answer those for you, let you know what the options are, and we'll get you a deal as a listener of the show. So reach out to me either through Facebook or through the email, which you'll find in the show notes for this episode. But with that all out of the way, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.